0: If we can get in the practice of using that door there, then it just means that it's kind of, um, it's just obviously, you know, you don't draw attention to yourself and, you know, it's not embarrassing. So we'll use that door there uh, during the sermon. If you can remember that, that would be great. Let's open the whole, the whole time. All right, let's pray. We're going to get into the word. Father, thank you so much for uh, your grace towards us, which, which the beauty of it is, Father, is that um, no matter how long we've been Christians, we're just as undeserving as the first day your favor broke into our lives so no matter how long we've been following you we thank you that it it works our relationship with you works on the same dynamics as day 1 and it's that you've had mercy on us and it's it's that we've been let off and it's that lord you thank you that we never it never gets to the point where we're somehow trying to act like we're the, the spiritual ones so thank you lord it's all about you and uh, we just want to honor you at the start and i pray that through the word today that you get the glory and uh, that we would all go away more amazed with you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. So, um, <clears throat> this Sunday is called Adventure Sunday. Yeah, it's just, that's definitely worth a whoop. Because and, uh, and what, what we're, trying, we're trying to work out a new season as a church. We're definitely in a new season. Uh, a lot of people, the things of people going, three weeks in a row now, we said goodbye to people. We're, say, we're saying goodbye next week to Tom Bevan, some of you will know. Um, it's four weeks in a row, we've never done anything like that before, it kind of feels like, wow, that's new, what's going on, is everything okay, everything's fine, um, what's going on is that for every person or couple, there are different circumstances, but under God, what's happening is, is that we're, we're in a season of re-clarifying what we're about, and there's just a, there's just something of a, a redefining going on, and as a result, it's totally appropriate that some would be moved into a different season somewhere else during that kind of a season, and and others would come in and join. So it's just going to probably be a bit like that for the next few weeks and months. Don't worry, there's nothing to worry about. It's just a new season in God, and we're trying to figure it out. Um, From day one, we've been here as missionaries, haven't we? We've been very clear about that, that missionaries aren't just people like Esther that you send off to some far-flung place, but the church is the missionary. The body of Christ, it should be a, a people on the move. It's not that we're stationary and we send a few and give them some money and pray for them and say, well done. The body is on the move. So whether we go and go or stay and go, we go. Amen? Because we're commissioned. Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. So whether it's in the workplace tomorrow morning or whether it's Central Asia when your visa comes through, we're missionaries. That's what God has called us to. Um, but we want to take that to the next level now with our gospel communities. We've never done anything official midweek for four years. We've just been very organic. But now we feel it's the right time. We really want to get a hold of God for what we feel like He's getting a hold of us for, which is uh, seeing bridges built into communities in a very intentional way. And so, gospel communities are really are going to be a huge focus. You, if you haven't felt that already, you're going, to, you're going to feel that it's not just a tag on. It's central to who we are. It's why we're all here this afternoon and we'll be so together and not in a morning and evening congregation. It's all part of the same thing. God is doing something with us and we don't want to just respond half-heartedly. We want to say, God, we want all that you've got. We want to run because that's appropriate um, because God's plans are good, pleasing and perfect. We want to shine our light. Jesus said, you're the light of the world and uh, no one lights a a lamp and then puts it under under like a bucket. It's a crazy thing. If you're going to have a light, you're going to want it... so you want everyone to see it. And so the gospel communities are about us as communities, as groups of people finding a mission field, whether it's a particular place, maybe a, maybe a local estate or a particular geographical area, you feel God's burdened me for this. Whether it's a passion, you know, you just feel, no, I, I, I love playing football and I want to reach my footballing friends. Fine. Or food or whatever it, the, your passion might be. To find a way of using that, to shine your light and share the good news of Jesus Christ. So whether it's a particular people, you know, I was just, maybe you feel in your heart, like, I want to reach the elderly. Someone's got—they're so vulnerable, neglected. Someone's got to reach those people. It's a, it's, it's a certain people or international people, refugees. That, our gospel communities will be built around either a place, uh, a passion, or a people. That's how it's going. Uh, to work but it, it's, it's not a, well tra- a well-traveled road for us we don't really know you know how, how it's going to work out exactly what is needed is a brave and adventurous spirit and so that's why today's adventure sunday we're going to preach on adventure and we're going to look in the book of one samuel so if you have a bible with you please turn to one samuel which is fairly near the start if you've got to kings and chronicles and um, psalms and job you've gone too far if you're in judges and joshua deuteronomy and those guys you're not gone far enough okay one samuel and um, we're going to read a very exciting story um, in, in just a moment. But I want to set the scene first of all. Turn to chapter 13, if you can. We're going to set the scene here. Uh, Saul is king at this point of Israel. He's Israel's first king. Before that, they were what you call a theocracy. God was their king. But they wanted to be like the other nations and insisted um, that they, they have a king. And in the end, God said, okay, fine. You want a king? I'll give you a king. Gave them Saul, um, who started off well. But it wasn't long before things started to turn bitter and ugly. He was basically a proud and very envious and a a man who was uh, much more aware of what people thought of him than of what God thought of him. And as a result, his life became very chaotic and made some fatal mistakes. And um, we're going to pick it up when it's not looking great. If we go, first of all, from verse... We're going to read verses 5 to 7 of chapter 13. It says this. The Philistines... Or for Bob, the Philistines um, mustered to fight with Israel, uh, thirty thousand chariots and six thousand horsemen and troops, like the sand on the seashore in multitude. Now the Philistines are the um, Israelites' um, uh, enemy in these days. Not much has changed. We get our word Palestine or Palestinian from the word Philistine. So not much has changed. Two thousand, well, no, three and a half thousand years on. Um, they came up and encamped in Michmash to the east of Bethaven. When the men of Israel saw they were in trouble, for the people were hard-pressed. The people hid themselves in caves and in holes and in rocks and in tombs and in cisterns, which is God's people. And some Hebrews crossed the fords of the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul was at Gilgal, and all the people followed him, trembling. So we've got a situation where God's people are heavily outnumbered. The Philistines have come with 6,000 chariots and 36,000 soldiers. It's not looking good at all. Uh, The situation isn't great. God's people are on the back foot. And before we look at the adventure that happens, that's the context. It's a back foot situation. It's not triumphant. It's not, oh, it's all going well. It's the opposite. It's actually, do you know what? Things are not going well. I think this is the same for the church in the West. I think you could say, honestly, those things probably in the last decade or so are looking better. It's not looking great. Um, the darkness has really made some pretty deep inroads into our culture over the last decades and centuries. It's, pretty, it's some pretty extreme stuff that's gone on. We've kind of sowed the wind of fatherlessness into our society through the feminist movement, and now we're reaping the whirlwind of chaos um, in, the, in, in the youngsters. Many of you would have heard of the five-year-old. Who was shot in the chest in Stockwell? Caught up in a gang fight. 18-year-old um, guy has been arrested. You know, and you get to the you get to the they get to the heart of so many of these scenarios and situations. And it, the, 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 there's the, the fatherless thing. There's huge. It's a huge thing. We've sown the wind of that, and we're reaping the whirlwind well of that. We've um, we've sown the wind of universal tolerance. Just by staying silent, everything's like you know. Yeah, sure. You just everyone just do their own thing, and now we are reaping the whirlwind well of everyone just doing what's right in their own eyes. And uh, it, it makes for a frightening scenario as it plays out. You find exactly the same thing. It's not new. It was said in the Book of Judges. Everyone just did what was right in their own eyes, and it's the conclusion of lots of chaotic stories because that's what happens. Uh, it's universal tolerance. No one stands up and says, "Actually, that's wrong." You, you're not allowed to say that anymore. See, you can only say, "Well, this is this is what I think." And um, we've sown that, and now we're we're reaping that. Um, we've um, we've sown the church has been party actually over the decades to sow in the wind of religious hypocrisy, and now we are reaping the whirlwind of huge disillusionment and cynicism about the church. You know, people think, what's what's the church got to say into this situation? You get programs like the Vicar of Dibley uh, represent this is the church, the Vicar of Dibley. You think, okay. There's a lot of ground to be taken back. We are on the back foot in that sense. That's the context. Then we go to uh, uh, verse 19 of the same chapter. Um, Just to give you a little bit more here. There was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said this, "...lest the Hebrews make themselves swords or spears." So they'd got rid of all the blacksmiths. But every one of the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen his plowshare, his mattock, his axe or his sickle. And the charge was two-thirds of a shekel for the plowshares and for the mattocks a third of a shekel for sharpening the axes and for setting the goats. So on the day of the battle, there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people with Saul and Jonathan. But Saul and Jonathan, his son, had them. And the garrison of the Philistines went out to the pass of Michmash. So God's people are lining up for warfare with their plowshare. You know, or with their mattock. You know, it's their gardening tools. It's like their pitchfork. That's where it's got to. There are two men in the army with swords, Jonathan and his father, the king, Saul. Now, bear in mind, the Bible talks about the word of God as the, the sword of the Spirit. And there's an interesting insight here because you often find when God's people are on the back foot, something has happened in regards to their attitude to the sword. And, uh... There aren't many around who actually know how to wield their sword. And some of them ain't even sure where it is. And uh, you've got a very interesting scenario here where the Philistines, you really represent kind of the world, you know, they've got rid of the blacksmiths. And what's happening is the people of God are going to the people of the world and sharpening their tools at their anvil. And it's kind of like, like believers really losing all confidence in the word of God and go to the world and uh, please help me, give me some of your philosophies and your, your things to help me understand stuff because, you know, this isn't working anymore. It does work. It does work. But it will never work as an accessory. It's the sword. It's what you use, it's your weapon. And whenever that is, even in your heart, is somehow, it's just lessened in some degree in your mind, you'll find something. what's happened to God's people? We're on the back foot, why? We haven't got a weapon. And we might have your, you might have your pitchfork, but it's not, it's not very impressive. and It's not going to do the job. So that's the situation we're looking at. And uh, now let's read this incredible uh, story, shall we, which is uh, verse 1 of chapter 14. One day, Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armour, come, let's go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he didn't tell his father. Saul, that's, Saul's his dad, he, this is Jonathan is the, the prince, the son of the king. Saul was standing in the outskirts of Gibeah in the pomegranate cave at Migron. The people who were with him were about 600 men, including Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord in Shiloh, were in an ephod. And the people didn't know that Jonathan had gone. Within the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag on the one side and a rocky crag on the other side. The name of the one was Bozes, which means shining, and the name of the other Sene, which means thorn. The one crag rose on the north in front of Mishmash and the other on the south in front of Geba. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armour, Come, let's go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. His armor bearer said to him, do all that is in your heart, do as you wish. Behold, I am with you heart and soul. Then Jonathan said, well behold, we'll cross over to the men and we'll show ourselves to them. If they say to us, wait until we come to you, then we'll stand still in our place and we won't go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, then we'll go up for the Lord has given them into our hand and that will be the sign to us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, look. Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they've hidden themselves. And the men of the garrison held Jonathan and his armor-bearer and said, Come up to us, we'll show you a thing. And Jonathan said to his armor-bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet and his armour bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan, and his armour bearer killed them after him. And at that first strike which Jonathan and his armour bearer made, killed about twenty men, within, as it were, half a furrow's length and an acre of land. And there was a panic in the camp, in the field, and among the people, the garrison, and even the raiders trembled, the earthquake, and it became a very great panic. And the watchman of Saul in Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and behold, the multitude were dispersing here, and there so Saul they've seen what's going on here now and Saul said to the people who were with him come and see who's gone from us and when they had counted behold Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there so Saul said to Ahijah who was the priest bring the ark of God here for the ark of God went at that time with the people of Israel now, while Saul was talking to the priest, the tumult in the camp of the Philistines increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. And then, said, and then Saul and all the people who were with him rallied and went into the battle. And behold, every Philistine's sword was against his fellow. And there was very great confusion. Now, the Hebrews who had been with the Philistines before that time and who had gone up with them into the camp, even they also turned to be with the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, when all the men of Israel, who had hidden themselves in the hill country of refrain, Heard that the Philistines were fleeing, they too followed hard after them in the battle. And so the Lord saved Israel in that day. Wow. Who likes that story? Come on. It's a very simple story. And it goes a little something like this One day, someone had enough. It's not a very spiritual story. Jonathan was praying. He doesn't say that. He just thought, I've had enough of this. I've had enough. Point number one, he took a chance. This was a real chance. Someone decided, you know what, I've had enough and I'm going to march into the heartland of the enemy to see what God might do. No prophecy, no vision, no visitation. He didn't even know how it would go. Listen, to, listen to, he didn't know the end of the story, okay? Just bear this in mind. We read it, we know the end. He had no idea. He thought, well, let's just walk in there and stand there and see what God will do with us. It's amazing. What's going on here? It seems a bit nutty. It seems a little bit maverick. It seems a bit wacky. Bring it on. Maybe the Lord will work. He's a man of faith. (laughs) He might do. He might not. But he might do, so let's have a go. I want this to be our attitude towards gospel communities. Let's give it a go. Might work. Might not. The Lord might work. No one's tried it. This is a great attitude. This is a brilliant attitude. I think some of our gospel communities, in fact I'm sure some of them won't work. No problem. When it doesn't work, let's start another one. It's fine. It's totally fine. It's not a problem. We were praying about these uh, London Leaders' Prayer Meeting. We had the chance. lost my bookmark there from the Bible. Look at that. Dabby. <laughs> Thanks, Mellow. <laughs> B's and D's. Some of you have the same thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> we were praying about these gospel communities. And said, sort of, I see a picture of these plates spinning. And as they're spinning, says, I see one of them drop. And, it's, and we we're praying about gospel communities. He said, and it just smashed. Just smashed. He said, and the tempting thing was for you to bend down and try and piece it back together. He said, he said but as it just smashed, he said, I see behind it two or three more coming through. And he said, you know what? He said, I think some of these aren't going to work. He said, but when they don't, don't try and fix them. Other stuff will come. Just let it, just let it come through. Yeah? I like that. I thought, yeah, because I'm a fixer. I get too involved. I overcook everything. Everything. Way too intense. Overcook everything. Okay? Oh, yeah. It's like, leave it. Other stuff will come through. So helpful. So, so helpful. I think fear of failure stops many successful ventures ever beginning. I bet not because it might not. Don't worry. Don't worry if it doesn't. God will commend you for having a go. God will commend you for having a go. A good, father commends his children for having a go with our kids it's always about have you done your best so the other day one of them came back and said it went bad at school one of us is a melancholic street don't know where they get it from anyway uh he says it went bad some few bad things happened today school daddy what was it i got four out of ten for my spelling i said well did you do your best you said yeah I said, but it's fine what's wrong with four out of ten it's fine if you did your best you could have done better you couldn't have got more than that could you yeah? Good father says, have a go and do your best. That—that That is God's word over us, hey? Have a go. There. Take the risk. Take the plunge. That's the heart of God. That's the heart of a good father. It, and that's what Jonathan knows. He knows God. See? He knows God. Because he says, what does he say? He, I love this line. It's a beautiful, beautiful line. He says, to his man here, to his armour bearer. He says, nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. It's not about whether you've got a great big gang or there's two of you, because it's the Lord's work and that doesn't hinder God if it's big or if it's small. Because it's God. Now God normally looks for one. He can do it with none, but he normally looks for one. He doesn't need loads. And I think sometimes we approach things and with just a worldly mentality. We need a critical mass. We need so many. And then, n- no, nothing can hinder the Lord. All it takes is a bit of someone putting themselves in that place where no one's put themselves before with the name of Jesus on their lips and a, and a bit of Christ-likeness. Who knows what God will do? Should no one's ever gone there before because they've always been waiting for X, Y, and Z to be in place where God's saying, no, just go with a bit of A, B, and C and we'll take the alphabet from there. We'll add to it just get there and so often it's just not getting there that causes the problems history bears witness to this truth william wilberforce moved to the east end of london do you know how the salvation army got started he wandered the streets of London and he saw the people's lives ruined by the power of gin. In that time gin was the thing and you know, he'd see you know, seven year olds drunk out of their heads outside pubs and great nasty fights between men and women out of their heads on gin and he just started to preach the gospel outside the pubs. Come back to his wife Catherine at two in the morning with his head bleeding, patch me up, dear, you know, I found my calling. And he'd go out again the next night and preach again. It's a Salvation Army, that's how it was born. That was it. Man and his wife, Gladys Alwood. Gladys Alwood. If you've never read about Gladys Alwood, you need to. The, the missionary societies were not impressed with her at all, so they were like, "You know what? You really haven't got what it takes." She thought, "Well, I think I do." So she just went, and she got a train. She saved up for money for a train ticket to a train ticket to China, in I don't know when it was, the 1930s. I think it would have been early 30s or late. Yeah. And so she just went with her little rucksack. And uh, you know, and she'd make her tea on the train. And she and she landed in Eastern Russia, right in the middle of the war between Russia and China. Got kidnapped, got escaped, made her way into China. Then just found her way to an inn and worked there and shared Christ. And in the end, I don't know how many children she adopted. She she in the end, she was commissioned by the local Mandarin to put an end to foot binding in China. I mean, an incredible legacy, one woman, just one woman who said, "I'm going to go. God's called me." John Wesley, they reckoned that that there was going to be a a revolution in Great Britain like there was in France, a bloody revolution, but it it was stopped by the revival that swept this nation in the 18th century. A few individuals who started preaching outside the church, the shock of it, they got banned from this Church of England wife, they started preaching outside because they would preach inside and they would, everyone would have a, be sitting in their pews that they'd hired and rented and then the poor would be outside with their faces pressed against the, win, the window trying to hear and in the end they went out and Wesley stood on a tombstone and started preaching and hundreds converted but they got banned from the Church of England as a result of doing that there'd be weed on, on, the, from, on from people in trees had dead cats thrown at them when George Whitfield stood up to preach his wife said to him play the man George because there was, was just mobs shouting and jeering at him. A few individuals that just made a difference. Jackie Pullinger walked into the middle of the walled city in Hong Kong where no one dared to go, it was just full of drug addicts and prostitutes and just a nightmare of a place and just saw hundreds of addicts converted and, and to the point now where she's just under such incredible favour over there. Just see, history bears witness to the fact that God's just looking for people that are willing. You haven't got to be experts. You don't need to be loads of you. I hope that stirs you. I hope that stirs your heart. And then we've got this brilliant armour bearer. Look at his attitude. I love the armour bearer. Don't lose the armour bearer in the story. Because you get your Jonathan. Some of you will be your Jonathans. On the 6th of April, this Wednesday, you're going to stand up and you're going to stand, you're going to do a Jonathan. You're going to say, God's put this in my heart. Who's going to come with me? At that point, we need some armour bearers that say something like this. Do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. I am with you, heart and soul. We don't know the guy's name. We don't know anything about him other than the fact he says, I'm with you. And Jonathan's like, great. It's great to know there's one other at least. Let's crack on. Armour bearers needed. The church really is the armour bearer of Christ. You know that Jesus is really the hero. We look at Booth and Howard. It's really Jesus is the hero. All of these follow in the legacy of the one. The one who knew loneliness, like none of us could ever imagine the one who went to the cross the one who died in your place Jesus Christ he's the real hero he's the one who marched right into the heartland of the enemy who left heaven and came here the world under which is the sway of the evil one and took Satan on with humility took him on at the cross took him on beat him beat him at the cross beat him at his resurrection rose victoriously there's a victory for you that's the victory The church is really the armour bearer. Alright, we're following after you, Lord. We're in. We're coming in after you. And we're going to just clear up the mess that your victory makes. Here we are. So the church is really the armour bearer for Jesus. But on a microcosm, we need gospel community visionary leaders and we need others that are going to say, I'm going to come. I have an admin gift. I'm going to clear up after the mess. You leave, visionary leader. You will create admin chaos. I am here. Or, I am here, I am a pastoral leader, I actually care about people, visionary leader. You care about vision, I'm with you, make sure we love each other on the way. Or maybe you say, I haven't got the capacity to lead in any way, but I want to be a part of this, and with your heart and soul, I'll be there, I'm following you. Armour bearers are needed and vital, and I'll call on you to be there on the 6th, so you can hear, because when you hear and God's in it, your heart will be stirred. And you'll say, I'm going there. I never thought of that, but I'm going to go and follow that person. Maybe at this point you've not yet got in touch with Richard about the sixth, but you've got something burning in you. Do I, don't I? Have a go. What if it doesn't work? Who cares? Who cares, to be honest? Do it for the glory of Christ. Do it for the glory. Learn from it. Let's keep going. That must be our attitude. He went with what he had, second thing. He just went with what he had. So he took the risk, and then he, went with, he just went with what he had. And, and really, it, was, it lo- wasn't looking good, to be honest with you. Look how it started. He psyched himself up. He's good to go. And then the Philistines saw him and said, look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden themselves. Oh, yeah. I've forgotten. Yeah? He's probably psyched himself up. No, we're the people of God. God's called us. We're here. Oh, look, they're coming out of the holes where they're all hiding. Oh, yeah, that's who I am. Yeah, no. Yeah. Because the church has hidden for a long time. We can make some noise with the four walls, you know, but take it out and it can, sometimes we go a bit quiet. You see, and Satan can just kind of whisper, intimidate, oh, here you are, coming out of your holes. Yeah, the mockery. You've got to hear that. It's in there at the start. It starts with mockery, first of all. Ah, you lot. Here you are. You lot, you're hiding the holes. That's the first step. At that point, he doesn't back away. Then there's a really tough climb. Have you noticed this? He says, come up here. At that point, he didn't glide up. The Lord lifted him on wings. At that point, Gabriel arrived and took him. And he arrived at the top. No, it doesn't say that. What happened? Read the story. So they call him up, and and he says, Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet. Right, okay, so here we are. God's given him into our hand, and now I actually have to clamber up this thing. Don't expect it to be easy. It's not like, well... God's not in it, Why not? it's going hard. No, no, no. God is in it, but it's hard. Yeah, God is in it, let's go. Let's go, push through, climb up, make the climb. Make the climb. You see, that's part of it, that's very, very important. And then I would say this, bearing in mind this is an army of probably 50,000, um, the first wave of victory wasn't that impressive, they got 20. I don't know if you've ever thought, I mean, fair enough, there's only two of them, but actually, they've, just, they've stormed a camp of 50,000. Right? You get 20. That leaves you with 49,980 enemies standing there still. That's, you know, I mean, that's not... Books aren't written about those kinds of victories, are they? You can imagine, it's going great, isn't it? There's i about, we've got 20 now, and then <laughs> there's this... Oh, we can't see the end of them. You know, anyone ever went to Stonely Bible Week? Yeah, that was about 15,000. Okay, she's so talking three or four times that. Okay, we're talking big crowds. We're talking major like World Cup stadiums full of people. That's what they're facing. They've only got 20. It doesn't look that amazing initially. But this is the beginning of God's victory because what we see finally is this. Number one, he took a chance. Number two, he went with what he had. But number three, actually, he got the land. He got the victory. We're told that at that point, God does something entirely supernatural. You read this throughout the Bible, from time to time, in a battle where God sends what they call a panic, and it's completely inexplicable. But what starts happening is they start killing each other. There was an amazing story, um, and it's you know it's all proven historically and all of that, where Jerusalem was surrounded by the Assyrians, utterly surrounded by hundreds of thousands this time, and uh, and they send they send their um, kind of ambassadors to the walls of Jerusalem. And they deliberately, these ambassadors, uh, speak around Jerusalem in the, in the native language to the people that are sitting on the wall um, bec- a- a- and-, and intimidate them and threats and threats and threats and threats and threats. And the king at the time, Hezekiah, he goes to Isaiah, the prophet says, says what do I do? Isaiah goes and prays. He comes back and he says, I, I, God says to you, be still and see my salvation. Um, in the same way this king went, he's going to be going back. And then we're told that during the night... Uh, the destroyer came and killed 180,000. Bang. God just said, you know what, I've had enough of your boasting. <laughs> and the prophecy is, I'm going to put my hook in your nose to King Sennacherib of Assyria and drag you back to where you came from. God just suddenly works. Right? So what's happened is, we've got, we've got this crazy risk, okay, followed by a mockery, then a hard climb, and then quite an unimpressive victory, and then suddenly, boom. God just does something completely... Out of anyone's possible doing. It's just it's on a different realm. It's God taking the center stage. This is what we want, isn't it? This is what our heart cries out for. We look at the city, we look at the desperate need, we look at the brokenness, we look at the sinful pride, we look at the guilt and shame, we look at the generations of just you know, just the things that are going on. We look at the school, some of you here are, are teachers, some of the things you tell me what goes on in your schools in terms of just terrible. Um, things that are spoken, physical abuse on teachers, knife fights in the playground. You think, you know, you you think, well, what can I do? Well, actually, not that much, but as we get on with it, we open up a way for God to suddenly do what he does. Yeah? I don't know why, but it doesn't seem like God was just going to do it. But he, something happens in Jonathan's heart. He feels stirred. He makes a stand. He just goes with what he's got. And it's not all that impressive. And even his victory, it's like, well, great. It's two of I mean, You've done 20. That's pretty good going tenfold. But, you know, not, you've not, you're not scratched the surface. And I feel like that. I feel like, well, we've done well as a church. We've only been here a few years. You know, there were 12 adults. Now there's however many. And it's looking good. And it's, it's amazing. But we're not scratching the surface. You know that feeling? You know that feeling? You think, ah. Well, but suddenly you see God takes center stage and something incredible happens. It's a total outbreak of God. This is what we want. God, please do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Look at what it involves. Mike Hewitt. Who, who leads Church of the City in East London? As he, as he was praying about gospel communities, very prophetic guy. He said, "I see a picture of you. You like a uh, like a, a baddie kind of Mexican kind of uh, bandit, and with this kind of uh, you know like the, the ball, the bomb with the fuse on fire." And he said, "These gospel communities, I see, and you're like you're hiding it under things and you're running off and laughing, you know, and uh, and exploding." And he says, he says, he says, he says, he says, he says, I see this like. Um, uh, it, it's, gonna, it's, it's actually it's part of what God has given you. Something about these things are going to be an actual surprise. They're going to be an incredible surprise for Satan. And I don't know how that works. Obviously, you know, obviously that doesn't mean we oh, can't talk about it anymore, guys. You know, I don't know how it works in the spirit. I don't know. But there's something about these that are going to have a blast that are really going to break things out. Um, and I believe, I, I believe God for that. Um, that it's just going to do something which is totally outside of what we could do naturally. I don't think amazing strategies really surprise Satan. I don't think, you know, clever plans do. That maybe faith, guts and a Geronimo spirit do. Because so often we're so self-preserving, yeah? And we say, oh, we're better we won't do that. We'll just... And Satan's used to that. He's looking at us thinking, well, do you know what? Christians generally are pretty safe. What if, what if a load of dangerous ones suddenly emerged that was a bit innovative, unpredictable and just a bit of that Jonathan spirit we could really blast some holes in some walls we could really do some stuff and that's what I want to encourage you for notice this also when this victory breaks out the whole army of the Israelites are then mobilized if you see, there's a pattern here. My, do you remember my sister? She prophesied that over me. She, my sister, didn't know anything about the church. She's a believer, obviously, but does not know anything about the church. She had this thing about I must see this film 300. You must watch that. There's something in that for you. There's, there's, you know, this kind of based on the truth story of when the Spartans, 300 of them, stood against about 100,000 Persians and put up an incredible battle and really kind of helped, you know, turn the tide of the battle. And she says, she says, I believe, I believe for you as a church, you're going to break through on things, and it's going to be so, so so um, deeply impacting that the, the rest of the church in the UK will follow behind on stuff that, that the church generally says, that can't be done. You're going to do it and, and it's gonna, you're going to bring the church through with you. Why not? Why not? Just, this, this is what happens here. See, Jonathan and his army say, let's have a go. Suddenly, boom, and then the army out here that are just really scratching their heads thinking, we don't know what we we'll do, we've got a few plough you know, hooks and all the rest of it and it's not really happening. Suddenly, look, It's happening. God is still God, the enemy is still not, and the whole, they all just charge into battle. Wouldn't it be amazing to be part of seeing the whole body of Christ in the UK mobilised and believing in God again? Now surely we will ourselves benefit and receive from many others. I'm not saying we've got some special thing, but there's prophetically something from God on us for this. And so we've got to, come on, let's do it, let's have a go, for goodness sake, why not? Why not? Why not? And also this, you see, the backsliders return. Also this, because we're told something else. It's very, very interesting. It says that um, the Hebrews who had been with the, phil- with the Philistines before that time, and who had gone up with them into the camp, even they also turned to be with the Israelites. How about that? So really, they're God's people. They're Hebrews, but they'd gone with the Philistines. Why? Well, because they're winning. But suddenly they see, oh, right, you know what, what have we done? And they come back. There's many believers that are no longer living like believers. Because you know what? They've just got disheartened. Or bitter. Or the temptation's been too strong, the seduction. And it's just... And so really, they're, they're God's people. They're, they're born again. They're still, they still belong to Christ. But they're, they're living a lie, living a double life. And you know what? Through these kinds of victories, that which was stolen from their heart can be restored. That, dis- that disappointment, that lack of that unbelief. It can, faith can come again. And they can say, Wake and wake up, what have I been doing? And come back and join the church. do we want that? Yeah. I tell you, there's so many people out there like that. So many. So many treasures. God's special treasures that have lost their way. We are told that the Lord saved Israel that day. The Lord. All the glory goes to God. The Lord saved Israel that day. But how did it start? One guy. Let's have a go. Father, we thank you. (laughs) Thank you for the freedom that you give us, Lord, to have a go. Thank you we're not under some kind of weird system where it's kind of, I don't know how to put it, under some system whereby every, you know, we've got to get, you you constrain us and we, we can't do a thing until you give us specific instructions. We thank you, Lord, that you have said go go and make disciples of all nations. Thank you, we are a commissioned people and we want to do it together, we want to do it coherently, we want to do it in good relationship but thank you Lord that there is room, much room for initiative, for innovation, for creativity, for bold, brave, outrageous steps and I want to pray, oh God in your mercy that you would help us to do that. Help us to do that Lord, I pray. Help us to do that God, I pray. There's something about just feel there's a there's a there's um, some response to be made today for some people. I feel like, particularly, there's one or two here maybe that you are you're 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 what would be described as backsliders. You know, you're in a sense you're kind of you know the Lord and you know you know the Lord, but you know what? You're kind of hanging out. You you're in the Philistine camp, really. You're not you're not really you're not really with God's people anymore because actually either either they just you've just had it, you're just fed up with them, <laughs> you know you're fed up with God's people, or you know you've had enough, or something's happened, or what, who, God knows you know. God wants to call you back today that you might join the charge. That you might join the charge because we're about a great work. We're about a mighty thing. Come with us and we will do you good. We will do you good because we're following him and he's incredible. He's incredible. And I want to call you back to the Lord today. I want to say come back. Come back and march with the army of God again. Come back and be in step with the saints. It's a beautiful place. It's tough sometimes testing times you walk through the fire at times and rivers you think am I going to come through this am I going to drown sometimes it feels really deep you have to walk on tiptoes but you get through by his grace and you're all the better for it and you can live, fight another day and I want to call you back I want to call you back and others of us maybe it's just you know you just think you just you realise you've been tame you're just tame and you just feel oh, you know what I've just, I've just been domesticated I've just become domesticated and uh, gone silent and quiet and you want to repent of that you want to, have a cha- you want to change your thinking on that and you want to, you want to go again you want to go again and uh, you know if either of those things are, are you and you just know you want to make a public stand for the Lord today and say you know what I want to yeah then I just want to ask you to stand where you are and I'm going to just pray with you I'm just going to pray a prayer pray a prayer blessing on you grace God's grace on you so if that's you you just think yeah I'm a backslidden or I've just got tame, and you stand Find it happens to me weekly. I have to. I just feel. Oh, I've just. I've gone quiet again. You know. I've gone safe and predictable again. It's such a. It's such for me. It's a thing I constantly have to address. Fear of man. You know. What they think. And all of that. Whether it's even just with Davina or with the kids or with the parents down the playground. Just oh, well, what they think? What they say? It's so insidious. I just get to walk in repentance of it so, so regularly. And uh, it's just, a, it's, we just need grace, don't we? <laughs> we need so much grace. Father, we're here in your presence, and pray particularly for my brothers and sisters that have stood up. I just feel some of you, there's others that just need to. There's grace for you today. I just feel the Lord really wants to give you grace today. There's no shame in standing, you know. there's 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 grace and mercy for you. And I want to just... Just give a just give a few more seconds, just to just to let you. And just just it's not that God can't if you don't stand. Don't hear that. But sometimes there's just something really helpful about saying, "Yeah, do you know what? God, do something do something fresh in my life." Just for some of you, pioneers, it's a pioneering thing on some of you. You're gonna. I get the image in my mind of those who conquered the West. You know, those who went in the Wild West, and they. It went out. I didn't really know what was there, but it was kind of attractive. And there's something there for some of you guys in terms of pioneering, pressing into the unknown and coming back. Look, look what I found. God, I pray for your grace to rest on us, all of us, Lord. And I pray particularly for those that have stood. We pray, Lord, let mercy rain down on them. Let mercy and grace rain down. Let mercy and grace rain down. Just Let's stretch our hands out, shall we, to our... Brothers and sisters that have stood up, and just let's as I pray, you just in your heart, just pray, God, we pray your blessing on them. We pray, God, for fresh faith and fresh uh, evangelistic boldness. I pray for the Holy Spirit anointing to rest on them in in new ways. Lord, we pray for new, fresh anointing, Lord. Let it come. We pray, let it come, Lord. We thank you for, uh, we thank you for Jesus, you're the bread of life. Hallelujah. You're the bread of life and that manner that was given, that bread, a, a, a fresh bread daily. I pray, fresh bread, Lord, they would feast on you fresh I pray as they even stand now in your presence. Wash their spirit, Lord, I pray. I pray, Lord, if there's if there's sin that they're repentant of, I pray. Cleanse them, Lord, bring a real sense of thorough cleansing and fresh sense of coming in, let's run again. I pray, Lord, for people to run. I pray for people to run, oh God, in the power of the Spirit. Like Elijah picking up his cloak and outrunning that chariot. I pray for people to run with supernatural pace and supernatural strength for the glory of God. I pray it, Lord, they would take ground they could never naturally make. I pray it. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, we pray, God, have mercy. Have mercy on us, your people. Lord, we say we are those who walk in your grace, Lord God. We are empowered by your grace, Lord God. We know no other way. So keep washing us, I pray. Keep washing us and renew our faith as we sing songs of truth, as we sing the songs of Zion, I pray. Spirit of God, stir our hearts afresh. Stir our hearts afresh. As we take the bread and the wine, I pray, as we remember you, Jesus, your body broken and your blood shed, impart grace to us, Lord, I pray, as we have that bread and wine. Impart grace to us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Why don't we all stand, shall we? Why don't we all stand? And again, if you